Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Maceo Jordan, the founder of Connexia Healthcare. Maceo, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Now, you've got a fascinating business that we're going to dive into in just a minute, but you've also got an equally fascinating background. You were chairman of Retire3 Publishing before this, along with a number of other companies, correct? That's right. Okay, so let's dive into the history a little bit. How did you get started? Well, we've got to go back to when I was about eight years old, truly, to answer that question. Although we'll spend a minimal amount of time on the couch. So when I was a kid, I delivered newspapers. Uh, you know, obviously, by the gray on my beard, I'm not you know the youngest guy in the room anymore. And as I was delivering papers, I noticed a bird feeder. And being a kid, I didn't know what it was, so I asked about it. Figured out that some of the ladies in the townhouse complex wanted to you know have birds come around their place. So I made a little device with clothespins and a baby food jar, rolled it in peanut butter and bird seed. And, you know, I guess I can now claim to have one, you know, one of the earliest recurring revenue businesses. Oh my God, that's awesome. Like all eight-year-olds, you know, it became work, right? Because they wanted refills and, you know, they didn't want to roll it in the peanut butter themselves. You had to service the accounts. Exactly right. Which for an eight-year-old is a tall order. And I was already delivering a massive mound of newspapers. But anyway, so what I discovered as a kid, and I don't know why it hit me that young, is that if I could find the buyer, then everything else would pretty much take care of itself. And so my career has been really punctuated by looking at markets first by who's going to buy something and can I go source that product or create that product for them. Awesome. Talk a little bit about R3, Retire3 Publishing. Yeah, so that I mean, started- You started that with like a $25,000, $2,500 loan and grew it to an insane amount three years later. Yeah, yeah so $25,000 loan. So- after uh, September 11th, uh, I was a hedge fund trader working in some proprietary trading rooms. All the, those rooms shut down outside of the main money centers. So, of course, that means I was going to go be a street preacher. So, I went to the ministry for about five years. Fast forward to 2005, a mentor of mine in trading said, yeah, my boy, you should start a newsletter. And I was like, well, what the heck is that, Larry? And he explained it to me. And that was really the rise of digital publishing. And I'd been involved in direct response marketing for a really long time. So I married those two up in the early days of digital marketing. Went to my stepdad and said, hey, I need 25000 to start you know, this enterprise. Ironically enough, the guy in the background there, uh, Dan Kennedy, it was his partner. Yep. Bill Glazer. Yeah, I know all those guys <laughs> intimately. So Bill Glazer is the one who actually suggested starting with that amount. That's which awesome. I later... I later found out he totally pulled out of the air. 
which great. is neither here nor there. It was an adequate answer. So I ran that down to five thousand uh, dollars. Started a, a publishing business in the financial services industry. Hit the trend in the forex uh, and was able to scale that business crazy fast. Yeah, in three years we were doing a little bit over twenty six million in top line revenue. And that is all on newsletter subscriptions. That is absolutely incredible. You then exited R3 and you've now launched products in consumer products, publishing, healthcare. I mean, you created over 80 million in market cap in the last five years for those companies. Talk a little bit about, about that journey. Yeah, actually, I need to update that. It's, up, it's north of 200 million at this point. And so really, that was me trying to prove that it wasn't luck, right? So one of the things that happens, you know, when you step on the moon, it's like, what's next? And it's actually Dan Kennedy that gave me that, that little quote. And so, you know, I created a huge business. You know, I scaled outside of the, the internet marketing world, left a lot of my peers in the dust. And I wanted to know that I could do it again. So I started in, you know, it's called a fractional CEO or a fractional CMO. Companies would bring me in if they were in trouble or they were trying to scale and they were running into some difficulties. And so the, the reason why I dropped off the radar though is because part of my positioning was, Look, I'm never going to be on social media highlighting your company. Everything is held in the strictest of confidence because a lot of companies just don't want it public, you know, that they're having revenue problems, understandably. So really those experiences were designed for me partially to prove to myself that I actually knew what I was doing, but it was also me attempting to build up equity and, uh, you know, some enterprise value uh, outside of going to, to Silicon Valley and, and venture capital. Okay. So I love the, I did it once. I want to prove I can do it again. And you've done it in a diverse area of field. How did that lead you into healthcare? You know, just like you'd expect, I experienced massive problems in an industry. Both my stepfather and mother wound up in uh, the home healthcare system. My mom, you know, fortunately recently passed, um, right. not as a result of the home healthcare, unfortunately, as a result of the hospital care. And so at Connexia, you know, our tagline is bringing hospital quality healthcare into the home. And so as a result of those two intimate experiences with this whole continuum of going into a hospital and maybe getting into assisted living or, you know, getting into the home, as an entrepreneur, I could view healthcare from a business mindset, from a marketing mindset. You know, I love the fact you've, you've got Jay Abraham on here. He's a, you know, obviously a hero of mine. I've, I've studied him for years. You know, so I think in terms of how do I reduce the risk? How do I reverse the risk? And, you know, in, in healthcare, the big problem is people are viewed in relationship to money, right? So the, especially in Medicare, the government dumps a bunch of money onto a set of doctors once a patient comes in and says, okay, fix them. And they do a horrible job. I mean, look where people, you know, if a bunch of money gets dumped on you, you're probably going to find, we'll say, creative things to do with that other than what you should be doing. And so it's not like there's massive fraud, like it's some huge problem, but there, there are some big problems. And I saw that that's a gap that can be exploited. And so it's, it can be exploited by delivering the highest quality customer service. You know, this is something that Jay would love. Falling in love with your customer first and then building the business around that relationship to support it. And then the rest of it, of course, is just hardcore capitalist stuff. I mean, it's like a $3 trillion industry. You know, the, I'm going with an LBO model. So I'm buying up businesses and bolting them together, which is really the only way to grow like insanely, insanely fast outside of a Facebook or a WhatsApp. Uh, but in like a boring industry, you've really got to find the stuff you can bolt together and grow. And so it, it is simply what I see as the next wave of trillionaires, probably. Healthcare is not only consolidating into the home, it's consolidating around technology, which makes it cheaper and easier and more efficient. So it's like all of this was coming into focus at once. And then the last of it, the capstone is, and this is sort of a clarion call to everyone, in 2030, 
61 million baby boomers are going to need part-time or full-time care. And, you know, we've all been talking about the How pandemic. Are you, what are you, where are you get? I'm sure you've got, where are you getting that number and where are you defining it from? Uh, you can get it from CDC, the uh, Census Bureau. Uh, if you look at the baby boomers as a population, after 2030, 100% of them will be over 70 years old. And so that at 70 years old is when you're going to need additional care. Usually it's part-time first. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, because we're talking about such a massive population, obviously it's like this moving parade. I'm not going to shower you probably since Dan's in the background, I'm not going to shower you with Dan Kennedy phrases. So it's like this moving parade of people. And so, yes, there, there will be people that are dropping off. They are passing away. And then people that are kind of joining up. But at 2030 is when 100% are gonna be in that category and we don't have the beds for them. Uh, we can't even build the beds for them. And so really home health care is the only solution. And really there's a mad dash going on right now to try and solve for that. Unfortunately, Silicon Valley is doing the usual thing. They wanna build an app to do it. And it's like, hey guys, it's healthcare. You kinda of need a human being to come in there and do healthcare. So we're taking the human approach first, building you know the, the massive scale with the, the patients rather than tech first. Okay, so talk a little bit about how you're, I mean, You've been on the forefront of, I guess you're, I would say you're amazing at spotting the convergence of trends that are coming to fruition in the future and then identifying the pain, Mm -hmm. the problem, whether it's from your own personal life or something else, and then figuring out how to solve that problem on a massive scale. So I get the convergence of the gray wave going through the small pipe. So how are you, and you mentioned the LBO model. So how are you pulling that off? What is Connexia do and how are you scaling like that? Well, so what we do is we bring this outside perspective, number one, you know, and I have, I actually do have Jay Abraham to thank for this. He communicated to me a long time ago that it's, it's rare to find a true strategic and tactical thinker. And this was back, you know, 2003, 2004 ish uh, with his PEQ back then. And so I took that to heart. So I, I trained myself got a guy named Scott Hallman to really, you know, hammer a lot of things home for me as well. Oh, awesome. Spent a lot of money with Scott. He loves me. Uh, Maybe not so much because it's been a few years since I've I've written big checks to him. But anyway, so I I look at this from a strategic standpoint, right? So all these big issues, is there a lot of money? Are there going to be a lot of customers? Then it comes down to how are you going to actually deliver care? Well, right now, most home healthcare companies are run by nurses. They've been in the trenches for 15, 20, 25 years. And frankly, they're great caregivers, but they're really crappy business people. They have no real way to capitalize on the value that they've built because it's in hidden form. And so when you look at at healthcare in particular, what everybody is exploiting, and I'm using that term deliberately, is this patient. So I'll give you a quick example. My mom went into hospice care. The guy shows up with five bottles of oxygen. And so I ask him, well, how long does one of those bottles last? I'm thinking a couple of hours. It's like, oh, probably last a day or so. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why do we need five bottles? And well, if the power goes out, I'm like, hold on. So you're saying I need a week, like the power is going to be out for a week. I said, so if the power is out for like a couple of days, can I call you? Like, can you show up the same day? And he said, well, yeah. And look, the reality is those businesses are exploiting people like my mom who are on their deathbed in those little ways, right? And so those are some efficiencies that can be immediately cut out uh, in terms of making healthcare more profitable and, and better for people and better for, uh, you know, the tax base. got to find like, a place to solve all those tanks and to, right. to store them all. And I'm yes. sure Medicare, whatever, is paying for it. And it's That's not, exactly it, it's right. the Medicare equivalent of the $600 toilet seat or something. Right. You got it. And so again, they, they get dumped a bunch of money 
and they're going to go spend it. And so it's like, well, hey, you know, if we can deliver three, why not deliver five? So there are all these little inefficiencies in the delivery of the product. But then from a practical standpoint, like an outcome standpoint, there are ways to utilize the system through telemedicine. Like we're on Zoom right now. Uh, you know, you can do face-to-face -face meetings with patients to help them with diet and some of these lifestyle issues that are leading to the absolute explosion in, in chronic conditions. You know, so really, it's about understanding who you're serving from a business standpoint. And instead of thinking about it like healthcare does in terms of a code or a patient, thinking about it like a business. How do I cross-sell? How do I upsell? Now, granted, it's not upsell in the same way, you know, like I can you know, sell them a camera or a mouse or something like that. It's upsell in the standpoint of how can I look at this patient, what's going on with them and manage their care inside of the constraints of Medicare and insurance to provide them better service, you know, whether it's telemedicine or a technology solution otherwise. Okay. So how are you, talk a little bit about the acquisition strategy. You know, that's probably the most straightforward part of the whole deal. Although the, the sellers that I talk to would think otherwise, you know, so basically we're, we find somebody that's looking to either exit immediately due to a health concern or they're just burned out. Uh, what are they exiting? Like what types of businesses are you looking to acquire in the space? Oh, thank you. So we are right now we're buying Medicare home health companies. So you have home care, which is usually private pay, and you have home health, which is typically skilled nursing, so Medicaid, uh, Medicare. Uh, right now we're focusing on, on Medicare agencies only because there are, are, frankly, far more of them and it's a better structure to deal with. Now, I will say this, most of the activity in home health care is with private pay because you can kind of crank the revenue dials Whereas when you're, when you're billing Medicare or Medicaid, they've got it set, right? You're, you're billing into a government system. Okay. So I'll have to make an introduction because we have a client who owns one of those. So maybe you can acquire them and keep us Love around, to. of course. And talk a little bit about now that's the business acquisition strategy. Who is your, are you serving the end user patient? And if so, who's your ideal patient for this and how are you acquiring that? Well, some of that, there's a little secret sauce in there. So I won't go into a lot of details to let my competition know. But right. basically, so home skilled nursing home health, it's bread and butter are typically joint replacement, right? So somebody gets a hip, a knee, and they, they once they get done in their hospital stay, they get discharged to the home for physical therapy. And the reason for that is uh, infection rates are on the rise. And frankly, you know, they don't need to just lay there in a hospital bed. It really is better if they get up and going. And that's sort of the bread and butter in home healthcare from my perspective. But really, it runs the gamut, right? You can any anything where the hospital either can't keep them in due to, to Medicare regulations, you know, it's mandated that they go to home health, or in some of the more forward-thinking healthcare systems, they discharge them to home more purposefully because they know it's a better environment. Our perspective is we need to move everything but the most acute care out of the hospital. If you look at outcomes, like how do people get healthy? They get healthy by being at home in their own environment and out of the, the hospital setting, you know, unless they need somebody who can be there in 30 seconds. So, you know, any, any heart-related strokes, those are the, the complex care situations that you need to have probably in a facility, but everything else you can maintain w without much problem in a home setting. And then how, what is the, because you're a direct response marketing guy, what is the marketing, is this regional, local, national, and what's the, what are some of the marketing strategies without giving away secret sauces? Oh, well, the good news is it's all the bread and butter stuff. I mean, I'm using, uh, you know, if, if you could see on my shelf, I've got Dan Kennedy sales letters yeah. that I'm testing, uh, a lot of concepts that, you know, Jay Abraham has used for years. 
It really is understanding what your customer wants. And people kind of assume in the healthcare setting that they don't care. And the reality is people do. They just really don't understand, number one, that they have choice. And number two, that they can select among different, we'll call it outcomes, right? So do you want to go into assisted living? Do you want to go into skilled nursing? Or do you want to go in the home? And so for us, it's partially educational, all local. So we are very much centered around the agency. And so we're not acquiring to build a parent brand. We're actually a brand of brands. We keep the individual agency name, all the people stay in place. You know, for us, and I'll talk about this a little bit from the business owner perspective, you know, selling home health, health agency, if you're less than about 20 million in, in top line revenue and about 5 million in what's called EBITDA, that's not really profit, but it's earnings before interest, depreciation, taxes. Okay. It's really difficult to sell. And the bottom line is this, a private equity firm that's got $500 million in the bank is going to burn about a million dollars a month. There's no way they're going to burn a million dollars a month if your business generates a million dollars a year. Because just in the due diligence process, like they've burned three years of your profit. So they have to scale up in order to make it work. Our deliberate focus is on businesses that are about 3 million in total reimbursements to about 15 million in total reimbursements. Uh, we definitely need to have all of the, the management in place, but really what we're doing for that home healthcare owner is plugging them into a much larger enterprise. If, if you're gonna sell your company, you're gonna get three to maybe five times earnings. Now it's actually going down because of COVID. Uh, it's rare to you know get these 10, 20, you know what you see in the papers. Yeah. yeah, that's for the newspapers. That's like technology companies. Everybody dreams that, that that's what they're going to get, but the reality is far different. So what, what we come in and, and say is, look, we will definitely give you more value for your business. You're going to have to wait and you're going to have to you know, do some work. But once we bundle all of them together, we not only increase their individual agency's value, they get a piece of the parent company. So as the whole thing grows, everybody gets to participate. And then are you doing that as like a national roll-up where they're all under one overarching brand umbrella that you're marketing nationwide? Probably not. There are a lot of inefficiencies with that. And the reason being is uh, when you get into home healthcare, the most successful agencies are very much local. You know, if you look at the LHC, which is a publicly traded company, Amedesis, another publicly traded company, you know, they're definitely more national. But if you look at the way they run their businesses, and this is something, again, going right back to Jay Abraham, it's a monolithic, huge corporation. And anytime you get that mindset, my dearly departed mentor, Gary Halbert, would say carbonized crap in somebody's brain. It's run like a big business. My point is nobody wants some faceless corporate thing coming into their home and caring for them when they're sick. They want somebody nice. They want somebody friendly, somebody who smells good. You know what I mean? It's just like the, the normal. They want another human to connect with them and help them through a trying time. So for us, we will... Like I said, I don't want to throw it out completely, but certainly it's not even on the table right now. Everything is local, very small, very intimate, customer focused. Awesome. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing now? Well, it's a combination of legacy and, and really just the, the prospect of millions of people like my mom going through what my mom went through and knowing that I've got a hand in, in changing that for the better. Oh, you know, almost going to make me cry. I mean, that's what's better than that. I mean, that's an awesome you, ripple effect. You can only wear one watch at a time. You can only drive one car at a time. Look, there's enough money to go around. Yes, we're going to get filthy, stinking rich. But at the same time, we've got to do something different. I mean, it just has to be different. Awesome. Anything else you want to share that I didn't think to ask you? Uh, how much time you got? 
Fair <laughs> yeah, enough. I think we're good. All right. Well, this is this has been Seth Green for Sharkpreneur with Maceo Jordan from Connexia. Uh, Maceo, for folks who want to learn more about what you're doing, where is the best place for them to go? Best place, uh, connexia.com is if you want to check out what we're doing in healthcare. If somebody wants to get in touch with me directly, maceojordan.com. All right. This has been, again, been Seth Green for Sharkpreneur with Maceo of Connexia. Thanks so much, everybody, for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Seth. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.